It's just great being with you, and just such a a great sense of the presence of God, and uh, it's great. It feels very much home from home, actually, uh, over in Cockermouth, so that's literally due west, okay, you just drive to the other end of the A66, and you find Cockermouth, and uh, we're, you know, we meet in the school hall, and, uh, and, and it's just great to be, it's actually great to be in partnership together, which is what being in an apostolic family of churches is all about. It's being friends together, it's about enjoying God together, it's about being part, partners together on this great mission. And of course this weekend fits very much into that, these In Christ Together weekends, and really so enjoyed your day yesterday, it was great to come into that. Uh, we had our day in Cumbria two weeks ago, um, so we did that, and, uh, and God was also with us, you know, as well, which is encouraging, okay, so we had a good time in Cumbria, and, uh, but in fact, in a, about a month's time, we, uh, we head north to Scotland, and that's the next one on the agenda. We'll be doing an In Christ Together uh, in Scotland. So it's exciting. God's doing good things. Okay, and it's great being with you. Uh, for me, one of, my, uh, one of my real highlights, actually, last year was that Cheryl and I, that's my wife, I'm married, by the way. <laughs> Cheryl. Uh, we've got three adult children. Uh, Ruth is married to Neil and... Uh, we've got grand, they've got two kiddies, so we've got grandchildren. I know it's hard to believe looking at me, but I'm a grandpa. And, uh, so they live in Cockermouth, which is great. And then we've got a son, Joshua, who's married to a Swedish girl, Nina. And, uh, and they are about to embark on the adventure of church planting into Gothenburg, Sweden. So they will be moving over in June, late June, early July. Uh, Nina's now got a teaching job there, and, uh, and they've got a, a passion to church plant in Sweden. Um, and then we've got a younger daughter, Chloe, who was part of Jubilee Teesside for three years while she tra- trained as a teacher here, and she sends you all her love. And thoroughly enjoyed being here in the Northeast for those, for those years. But uh, last year, Cheryl and I were in Canada, and, uh, and it happened, uh, it was the time that Raj was there as well. And I kind of had known Raj, like, in settings like this, you know, across a crowded meeting, you know. But there's a difference between knowing someone when you just say hi in a meeting, to actually staying in the house with that person. <laughs> That's when you really get to know people. And we had, I think, two or three nights uh, kind of together in this, uh, in this house in Fergus, wasn't it? It's in Fergus with Tony and Sarah. And, uh, and we had a great time and we had such fun together. We laughed and laughed about lots of things. You would doubt our level of maturity <laughs> if, you were, if you were with us. There was once where Tony actually said to us, and he's kind of, he was the old one, really, wasn't he? You know, he made us guys look young. Well, you, you are, I know. And, uh, and at that point, he said, uh, he said, hey, do you want to go out for a bike ride? And uh, so we kind of, he dusted off the bikes, and all three of us, you know, strapping athletes we are, 
got on the bikes and went on some country trails. And, and I don't know whose idea it was, but about halfway on the bike ride, we said, okay, let's all take our hands off the handlebars, let's link arms, and let's do, let's do formation bike riding. <laughs> I mean, it's the thing you do, isn't it? <laughs> so there we were, cycling along together. And uh, at which point I did say to Raj, who is a respectable doctor, I did say to him, you do know I have just dislocated my shoulder a few months ago. And uh, but anyway, but also the other highlight of that trip was being in the toy shop with Raj. Well, he, he was buying stuff for his children and I was buying stuff for my grandchildren. And I think we were the biggest children ever in that toy shop. And the shop, the, the lady who owned it couldn't quite make out these English guys that were just playing with all the toys and having fun. But hey, we were enjoying each other's friendship, and but also we saw God work as well, which kind of is good. But so, but you know, God's doing great things, and I know as a church you are caught up very much in the bigger mission. And actually, I know here when Jeremy and Anne were here that God first spoke about Canada and Sweden, actually. And I know that that's something, you know, that you're a church that not only nations come to you, but you've got a heart for nations. And it's just exciting to see what God is doing. You know, the connections in Canada are growing all the time. Yeah, I kind of lost count a little bit, but I think it's 16, maybe 17 churches that we work with across Canada. Some very small church plants, others are bigger but it's just exciting to see what God's doing there. And then, as I say, there's a very fresh initiative happening in Sweden, both a church being planted in Gothenburg, and in fact, from Cockermouth, we have a very good couple who've just moved back to Sweden. They are Swedish, and they are in Stockholm, and just believing that God's going to do something there as well in that city in Sweden. So, hey, we're on a mission together, and we're on a mission where we live, and we're on a mission for the nations as well. And weekends like this uh, just so equip us and envision us in it. And thank you so much uh, for just your welcome. It's good being here. Uh, we're going to look in the Old Testament. We're going to look at one of the big-time prophets in the Old Testament. We're going to look at Jeremiah. Who likes Jeremiah? Oh, there we go. Just a few. Not many hands go up. Who likes Ephesians? Okay. Galatians. Okay. Romans. Jeremiah. Lamentations. Okay, we will pray for you. Even now, we'll cut the preach and pray for you. We're going to look at Jeremiah... And just before I read to you from Jeremiah, I do want to say some introductory things about the prophets. Okay, and uh, the, <clears throat> the prophets, they write with vivid and powerful imagery. Okay, if they were painting pictures... They would not be using greys. They wouldn't be using pastel colours. They would be using bold, 
vibrant colours, colours to capture your attention. Even some of them would even forget the colours and just paint black and white. The prophets kind of, they're in your face really. They tell you things as they are. Our kind of hearts, our human hearts, would want to dumb things down a bit or soften the edges or make all things a little bit nicer. Surely it's not as bad as that. And what the prophets do, they really hit you in the face with some things. There there are two big themes, actually. There's more than two, but two of the big themes that repeatedly come through the prophets. One is idolatry. And it's just a constant theme where the prophets are addressing this kind of relentless bias of the human heart to make an idol out of anything or something. And often when we think about idols, we think about wooden kind of statues or, or gold statues or precious metal statues. But actually, we know an idol is anything that takes the place of God in our hearts. Anything that takes that first place of affection to God and and our passion for Jesus. Anything that takes that. So even good things. It hasn't got to be a, a statue. Good things can take the place of God. And that's idolatry. And the other thing the prophets really address is this, religious behavior. They hate it. They hate it. And somehow, you know, the people have, are, are being idolatrous and yet still giving themselves to the religious behavior. And the prophet, all the outward form of it, and the prophets go for that. They kind of expose that for what it is. They do. They, it's face to face, it's eyeball to eyeball, it's black and white. They draw the boundaries where perhaps we wouldn't. They make us uncomfortable, the prophets. But having said that, they then promise a comfort that is beyond anything we could imagine. So they kind of shake us, and then they bring us into a security that is beyond anything our human hearts can produce. We ignore their warnings at our peril. And we've got to take these books seriously. But there's one major, major thing we've got to understand about the prophets, and it's this. They all lead us to Christ. They all point to who he is and what he's done. If we don't get that in our thinking, then we can so easily misread the prophets. And actually, we can, you know, in wanting to please God, we can just end condemned or accused. We've got to see that they lead us to Christ. Okay. So, you can see, I wear glasses, right? 
If I take my glasses off, you all become a blur. Okay? So I kind of think, okay, now, what, what's this in front of me? Oh. Man. 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 Yeah, man. 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 Okay? Short hair. Yeah. Short hair. Man. I'm being a very good boy. Okay? Man. Man. Okay? But if, you know, I, I put my glasses in and think, oh, it's Simon. Hello, Simon. Nice to meet you. It's Simon. Often when we read the Old Testament prophets, we can somehow grapple with some of these hard-hitting, kind of in-your-face kind of words, and we're kind of we're grappling with something. We need to put our glasses on and see Jesus. And then read the prophets through seeing, through our lens of seeing Jesus. Okay, so that makes sense. It is so important because I'm going to read you uh, between the eyes, in the face, prophetic word, and it's going to be just one verse. Okay? I don't normally do that. I kind of like putting a bit of context, but we're just going to go with one verse. So have you got your seatbelts on? You've got your chairs in the upright position, and your tray table's packed. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Okay, you can read it again. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Okay. There's a problem, there's an answer, and we're going to look at some implications. In Palestine at that time, there were basically three sources of water. One was spring, spring water. And it was called living water because it was fresh. It sustained life. It was good to drink. It did you good. So, there was spring water. Secondly, there was groundwater. That would be sort of the water you'd find in a well and you know, still okay, but it was a, just a more of a, a collected water, as it were. There's groundwater. Thirdly, they would uh, cut out cisterns or tanks, storage tanks. Maybe they'd cut it out of rock and they would line the insides of the cistern and it became like a storage tank for water. And so what was fresh water would, they would put into this storage tank, a cistern, and that would, as I say, store it. Problem is, the longer it just sat there, the greener it got, the sludgier it got, and it became a breeding ground for all sorts of, you know, uh, all, all sorts of bugs and this whatever. It became diseased and polluted. Cistern water. 
And obviously, if that system was broken, if the lining, for whatever reason, was broken, there would be seepage, and you'd get more of the sludge effect. Okay? If you've been walking where we live in the Lake District, obviously, lots of folks, they, lots of folks go there to walk. We enjoy walking up there. And you often have the choice between those two things. If you run out of water, then there's some beautiful springs of water up in the Lake District... There are also some animal troughs. And they've got this green slime just sitting on them. Okay? So, let's take a little straw poll. Okay? Given the choice, spring water or sludge system water, what would you drink? Hands up for the spring water. Okay, good. Just so, so it's a very fair and non-biased thing. Hands up for the sludge water. Are you sure? Because you do like reading Lamentations. <laughs> kind of, it, it will go, you know. Okay. okay, so that's a fairly unanimous, okay. Springwood is stupid to go with anything else. You've got a choice, it's stupid. Spring, system, system, spring, I can't do. It really is a no-brainer. The issue here was that the people of God were choosing the system and not the spring. And the prophet kind of, it paints this picture of black and white for us. It makes these two extremes. It hits us between the eyes. We need to see that We live in a world that offers many systems to drink from. It offers the system of, say, sexual experience. Now, it's not that sex is wrong. It's a good gift from God belonging in the covenant of marriage. But when separated from its source, its proper source, it becomes a broken system. The world offers money as a system. It's not that money's wrong. Again, a gift from God. It's there, it's given to bless. But when separated from the source and just stored, it becomes like a system. The world is offering system living. Drink from this, drink from this, drink from this. You will be refreshed. This will do you good. But as well as the the world, it's kind of, it's not just the way out there. This self is an expert at building systems. You know, somehow we want to take things and make them mine. Make them ours. Okay? In the famous quote of Smeagol from Lord of the Rings, he's mine, ye writers. He's mine. I did audition, but I didn't make it. <laughs> but if ever they make a fourth one, boy, I want to do it. Yeah. But that is mine. And whenever they come near the ring, 
it's mine. Listen, we have hearts that are always saying, it's mine. When I hold things. And as soon as we do that, we come out, we, we, we kind of take things for ourselves. We, we, we change from a spring mentality to receiving and giving to somehow a building of a system mentality. Ourselves can be very creative in building systems. I, I'm kind of preaching from something I got convicted about um, towards the end of last year, actually. I've been working in full-time church work for over 30 years now. Okay? I started when I was 10. <laughs> Sorry, that was a lie. Okay? I was a little bit older than 10. But I've been over 30 years in the church. In that experience of church life, I've seen a lot of things happen. There's a lot of marriages, we've helped counsel Cheryl and I, there's been a lot of issues, we've had to work through with people, you name it. And it would be easy for me to build up the system of my experience. Say, hi, I'm, I'm this walking system, okay, so you shouldn't sit on the front row with me, <laughs> okay, I'm this walking system of, of the spiritual experience and spiritual wisdom. So if you've got a problem, share it with me. And I will file through my filing cabinets and think, oh yes, there was that time, 1987, when, you know, that was the answer to that issue and now I can dispense my wisdom to you. And I'm just dipping into experience rather than living from the spring. I got challenged by that. And it's not that experience is wrong, by the way, but it always must be secondary to drinking from the source. We can all be good at building systems of religious behavior. It's just a tendency in our hearts to do that. And we just got to watch it. Just got to watch it. It's just such a good sense of the freshness of the presence of God amongst you this morning. And we've got to always keep, God, we need you. We're not just going through the motions. We're not just going through the routine. We're not just going through the outward form. God, we need you, the spring of living water. Okay, enough of the problem. What's the answer? Well, the answer is the spring of living water. And who is the spring of living water? Well, actually, it's a name given to God. It's how God is revealing himself. He's saying, I am a spring of living water. It's a phenomenal vision and understanding of who God is. He's an ever-flowing Spring of pure, life-giving water. This is God. It's remarkable. He pours forth life and life and life, eternal life. God is a spring of living water. 
There's nothing boring. There's nothing you want to say, oh, we've got to box up our spiritual experience. No, 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 no. No, it's a spring of living water. That was the tragedy in the garden that actually Adam and Eve, they chose a tree of knowledge instead of keeping in the relationship with the one who's the spring of knowledge. It's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of knowledge. And it's so, so tragic. The great prophetic invitation that you find, if you were to read through the other big prophets, and uh, like Isaiah, whatever, is actually this call from the heart of God, come to me, if you are thirsty, come to me and drink. He's the great thirst slayer. <laughs> He's the thirst satisfier. This is God. And then we turn at the pages of our Bible and we find Jesus. In John chapter 4. And we find, some, we find Jesus meeting someone who is thirsty. Actually, it's quite a remarkable thing. Jesus himself is thirsty in this story. He's in Samaria, passing through with the disciples. And he stops at a well. The disciples have gone to get food. Jesus stops at a well, and he is thirsty. And he meets a woman at this well. And Jesus asks her for a drink, which actually is a remarkable thing, because it kind of breaks every social every racial, every ethnic, every barrier, every religious barrier, Jesus just breaks it all and says, ask for a drink. As that in itself is a remarkable insight into the humanity of Christ. Here we have the spring ever flowing of living water has now become man. And he asks for a drink. That one of his last cries on the cross was this, I thirst. I thirst. As he was dying so that we can drink. It's a remarkable story. But Jesus, Jesus speaks to this woman at the well, remember? Okay, we've got second source of water in Palestine, the well. And Jesus leads her in the conversation, and guess what it's about? It's about water. And he says, if you knew who was asking for you for a drink, actually you'd be asking me for a drink, because out of my, I have, make sure I get it right, it says, I have living water to give you. If you knew who was asking you, you'd ask me and receive living water. So at the well, Jesus is talking about the spring. Did you can drink from the spring. And interestingly, the woman then takes the conversation into some religious stuff, really. About who you know, made the well in the first place, and this, that, and the other. And she goes the way, really, of religion. And Jesus brings her back to the way of the spring. 
And then he encourages her to go and get her husband. And he said, well, I haven't, I, I haven't got a husband. And he breaks through with this prophetic word. So saying, no, the man you're living with now isn't your husband. And actually, you've had five. And Jesus is talking to a woman whose life is a broken system of relationships. And offers living water. And somehow in that scene in Samaria, we have the whole story of Jesus offering living water. And then you turn the pages through John and you find not Jesus in kind of the twilight zone of Samaria, but you go through John and you get Jesus literally now center stage in John chapter 7 and he's on the steps of the temple. And it's sometimes difficult, I think, for us to understand the impact of the temple. We kind of think it's just a religious building. Now, it was the place where the presence of God dwelt. It was also the place where, where politics took on. There's all, all sorts of stuff happened in the temple, in the courts of the temple. It's a bit like the Vatican and the Houses of Parliament all rolled into one, with a touch of MI5 as well. Okay? It, 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 it really was. A, and, and on that last great day of the feast, Jesus stood on the, on, on the steps of the temple and he cries out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. This is no longer one woman by the well in tucked away Samaria. This is now center stage Jerusalem. And he goes on to say, oh, by this, he means the Holy Spirit, who is yet to be given. Jesus is just setting the scene. The spring of living water is in their midst, saying that there's going to be an outpouring of the Spirit that they can drink of, which means that out of their innermost being will flow rivers. And then we turn the pages again. And we get to the day of Pentecost. It's Jerusalem again. And we find the disciples are there and they are being obedient to God. They're just waiting for this promise of the Spirit. And then God pours out his Spirit. The spring is let loose. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. There's an outpouring of spring water, to put it that way which fills them and then overflows them and it goes into Judea, it goes into Samaria. Philip, Samaria is on, 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 kind of on the agenda again. Philip goes into Samaria, he preaches the gospel and people drink off the spring water. They, they find this water, it cleanses, it makes new, it sets people free from evil spirits, it heals people. This is life-giving water. And it's flowing through Samaria. And then the other apostles, Peter and John, hear about it, they go down and they begin to speak about receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's actually, there's an experience within these believers of ongoing spring water. <laughs> just welling up from within. 
And the story goes on. See here, Ephesus. And Paul goes, he finds a group of, a few disciples there. And he said, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? And he teaches them, he prays for them, he lays his hands on them. That, that the spring is let loose again. And all the way along, religious systems are being challenged. Listen, this is our roots. We're a people of the spring. We're a people of living waters. And then, after what Paul does in Ephesus, we find Paul then writes to the church in Ephesus. And I'm just turn to this. I knew I'd get to Ephesians in the end. From Jeremiah to Ephesians in one preach. Okay, but it's worth turning. Let's just turn to Ephesians. And verse 15, chapter 5, verse 15, it says then this, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine. Don't, don't drink from the wrong system. Don't fill yourself up. Don't, don't get drunk on wine. But this isn't just a comment on wine. Just don't, don't get drunk. Don't, don't get addicted to, to the other stuff, whatever the other stuff could be. Instead, be being filled with the Spirit. Instead... Drink from the spring of living water. Don't forsake. Don't, don't forsake me. Drink from the spring. That's how we live in days that are evil. That's how we live as the wise. You see, in Jeremiah's time, they were living as the unwise. They were just taking on the ways of the world. They were forgetting how to live as God's prophetic people in their day. That's what was happening in Jeremiah's time. And he was facing them up with them, saying, Don't, you've forsaken him. Know where you should drink. It's an issue of where are you drinking. And somehow that vivid imagery of Jeremiah, it comes through now to us, right where we're living. And can I ask you, can I ask myself, where are we drinking from? Is it just our past experience? Is it just our own strength? Is it just, oh, I've been a Christian, you know, 10, 15, a few years now, and I kind of, I kind of just know how to do things now. We can just fall into a Christian way of living. Or is it that there's other stuff that somehow you think this is where satisfaction, this is where my thirst gets, get, gets answered, you know, and, and, and you're drinking from a system. 
It might even be stuff that the world is just tempting you with and say, look, look, just, just, you know, just try that porn site. Try that relationship. Try this. And what you're doing is you're drinking the sludge. But we don't see it. We think it looks attractive. We think, oh, this, this is attractive. No, listen where we started. Living water? Sludge. It was unanimous. 100% living. And yet somehow our thinking, it gets, it gets distorted in daily life. So we can be drawn to the animal trough. I think, that's going to satisfy. That's the prophetic challenge. And yet in all of that, Jesus stands in the middle of it. And says, hey, anyone is thirsty. He shouts it. This is no longer a one-to-one conversation with a woman in a tucked away place. This is now shouting it. Anyone is thirsty. Come to me and drink. We're in those days. We can drink. What are the implications of this for our life? Just very simple implications. Number one, choose. Choose where you're going to drink from. That's the prophetic warning and that's the prophetic promise. Choose where you're going to drink from. Number two, drink. <laughs> it's dead simple. Okay, it's dead simple. Drink. We are to be heavy drinkers. <laughs> Do you know that was my first amen? I mean, preach. I've been going there for half an hour, you know, for how long it's been. That's my first amen. Amen. (laughs) We are. Drink. As I say, Jesus cried out, I'm thirst. I thirst. As he died on the cross. He poured himself out so that he can give us his life now. Being part of the interpretation that's come through this morning, you know, as we've heard a great tongue brought. Jesus has done it. So that we can drink. And thirdly, overflow. Okay, overflow. If if I was to read on that bit in Ephesians 5, it says this, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Speak and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does spring living look like? It's overflowing in thanks and praise and love to our King Jesus. It's overflowing with him. Lord, you're magnificent. We speak to one another. We encourage one. We give thanks. You see, what does system drinking look like? 
your face at Sidet. Okay. What does it look like? It, it's miserable. There's no joy in the system. It's a... You know what it's like when you drink something. Sour milk, milk that's gone off. Yeah, that's it. There's no joy in the system. Overflow with joy and praise. Why? Not because we're just kind of trying to voice ourselves up and be happy. No, we're drinking from something. Spring water is good. But as well, love one another. That goes on to say, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That word submit is such a powerful, powerful, powerful word which we need our brains rewired with. We think it's such a negative word. Paul, in this last chapter in Ephesians 5, it starts with, be imitators of God, love as Christ loved us. Live a life of love. And that's the whole context is submission. That's why when you go and talk, talk about husbands, wives, and children, and, and workplaces, something like this, it all flows out, all, all comes out of this root of love. And submitting to one another is this word that speaks about honouring one another, uh, just preferring one another. It's love in action. What does spring drinking look like? Well, there's joy there, there's, there's praise there. Do you know what else is there? Is love. Love for one another. Love for, for not just one another in this room, not just one another in terms of church, but love wherever God's pulled us. There's a, a God, this is what God's called us to. It's, it's called us to drink from the spring that we would overflow with the love of God wherever he's placed us. You see, the system is just so small and it's so kind of in on itself and it's broken anyway and it's horrible. And you can't share that, you know, have a glass of sludge. But you can invite people to the spring. (laughs) I was pretty messed up. I was pretty dirty. My life, but... and, and I'm still messed up in ways, but do you know what? I found where to drink. And of course, that takes us right the way back, and this is the last point, the implication, is to share with others. You see, that's what the woman at the well did. You get this one-to-one, and it's a beautiful kind of cameo of Jeremiah, actually. You know, you've got all three things there, those three sources of water. And she, there's a moment where obviously it happens for her. <laughs> and she leaves, actually she leaves her, I think it's her watering, uh, kind of her water container, she leaves it there and she runs back to her town and she tells the town. She's begun to drink something and she wants others to know and she tells the town. And of course the comment, the end comment of the whole story is that many believed. You see, living water isn't just your own personal private supply. Got my own living water. It's there to drink from and then to share. And as we've been together this weekend, and Jeremy spoke so, so very well yesterday. 
about what God has done for us in Christ. It's about our security and who we are, but it's for the good of those that God's placed us next to. Whatever sphere of life. Phrase Jeremy used, I think there are two phrases that he used yesterday. One was a kingdom carrier and a presence carrier. I want to add a third one, we're water carriers. Or we better spring carriers, living water carriers. God's got you where he's got you. That out of that, his, his water will come out. And you can say to others, hey, like that woman at the well, I found a man. <laughs> he knew all about me being a broken system. He knew about it. And you know what? He didn't condemn me. But he introduced me to water. That's the story. And that's where we are. I'd love us just to drink again together. We've just got a little bit of time. And it may be that you kind of, as yet, you've not had that experience of drinking the living water yourself. Let me put it that way. And if you want to today, you can. Believe me, this is it. This is what relationship with God's like. It's spring. He's the spring of living water. Some of you may have been used to more of a religious broken system. You don't need to drink from that anymore. You can drink from the spring. There's others of you that kind of your heart has drifted to a broken system. And, and it's not always the heavy stuff. As I say, it could be, I got convicted about, am I just living from my past experience as a Christian? And somehow, you, could, you just feel, you know, my life is more defined by the system than it is by the spring. Okay? And God wants to help you. You can choose today. That's, that's repentance. It's choosing and turning back to what you know is right. And I, I, I would just like, if, if either of those are you, it would be great to pray with you. And I don't know the best way of doing this, Raj. I'm, uh, 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 yeah, okay. Well, yeah, so would it be good to call people forward? Is that good? Okay. Okay, so perhaps the band. Could we, could we have the band? That'd be good. Just don't want to... I just want to do what works well. I know you go to different churches and different things work differently in different churches, and I just want to do what you are most comfortable with, okay? What you're most comfortable with, and, uh, and it'll be great just to... As I say, we drink of the spring, we overflow with worship. It's great, you know, that we, we can just sing to him. But as well, I just want to encourage you, as we, as we, in a few moments, just stand and sing. In fact, I'm, we're going to stand, I'm going to pray, and then we'll sing. 
And then if you feel you're in either of those categories or you're just desperately thirsty, you think, God, I need more of your spirit, then just come forward, the ministry team, come forward and stand with them. And if there's anything more if Raj wants to bring in that or Simon or, or, or the guys, that, that they will do that. But let's just stand together now. Let's pray.